we're going to get a little sciencey. Going to talk about uh, yet another NASA mission. This one's kind of cool. Uh, we're going to be chatting with Todd Ely, who is the DSAC project manager and principal investigator. What is DSAC? D S A C. That is the Deep Space Atomic Clock. Todd, thank you for joining us this morning. Appreciate your time. Good afternoon, Jay. I'm happy to be here and pretty happy to be talking about the Deep Space Atomic Clock today with you. It's pretty cool. Okay, first of all, let's let's just uh, assume, as most of us are, aren't completely up to speed on what we're talking about here. Atomic clock, that's basically the standard that the whole world operates off, right? What is an atomic clock? So... Um, all atomic clocks uh, typically have uh, some form of oscillator, you know, the kind of oscillator that would be in your, you know, clock that wakes you up in the morning. Right. But those oscillators drift. You know, we're all used to having to set our time again because our time has drifted off. Yeah. And so what an atomic clock does is it uses a property of an atom, uh, a resonance property that is very <clears throat> stable and, and well-known, and uses that information to control the drifting elements of, a, of an oscillator. So what results is a very stable oscillation, which then you count those oscillations and you get ticks of a clock. Gotcha. So um, think of think of a uh, you know, the analogy that I've been told is is useful is like a, a cruise control. You know your velocity is going up and down, but you have cruise control to keep that velocity even and straight and stable. And so that's what an atomic clock does. Gotcha. Okay, so it's sort of the baseline. Um, why do we need one in deep space? What, what, what's the, the, the point behind this mission? Sure. So um, the way we navigate all deep space missions is we measure the amount of time it takes for a radio signal to uh, be transmitted from the Earth, sent to that spacecraft. And because we have typically a very unstable clock on board that spacecraft, we have to turn that signal back around and it's received back at Earth. And we measure the amount of time that that signal takes to go up and down. And we measure it using atomic clocks. And you may ask, well, why do you need an atomic right. clock? And it's because the speed of light is just so fast. It's 300,000 kilometers a second. So if you make, um, you know, if, you're, if your clock drifts and it's off by a second, that's a 300,000 kilometer <laughs> error. That's about the equivalent of saying, well, I just measured the distance that spacecraft, but it could be, you know, at Earth or it could be at the moon. You wouldn't know. So you need a really precise measurement. And so atomic clocks allow us to make those precision measurements down to better than nanosecond levels. So to give you an example of why that's important for spacecraft at Mars, you know, that's about 140,000 kilometers away. But we're able with these ground atomic clocks to measure that distance to within a meter. Wow. Um, up until DSAC, we've always had to do that turnaround because those onboard spacecraft clocks haven't been precise or stable enough. But what DSAC allows us to do is put um, a clock that's on a spacecraft that's relatively small. So DSAC, again, this is just a demo. We expect to actually make this smaller than our demo that we're flying in low Earth orbit. It is about 29 centimeters by 26 centimeters by 23 centimeters. It's about the size of a a four-slice toaster, if you will. Um, allow, we can put that on board a spacecraft pretty easily and make measurements about as, state, as precise as we are able to do on the ground. So we don't have to turn that signal around anymore. Right. And so um, uh, there's a lot that 
that allows us to do. And so I'll let you have your next question, and maybe we can talk about some of what that allows us. Yeah, to do. well, exactly. I mean, what kind of a difference will that make? I mean, we've, we've talked about several missions, you know, the new ones headed up to Venus and things like that. And, of course, we talk about Mars all the time. When we're talking about space exploration and all these things, what kind of a difference will DSAC make? So, um, uh, to put a little context into this, why, why it's useful, um, and I'll start by um, GPS. Um, you use atomic clocks every day. You may not realize it, but if you're using your maps program on your smartphone and getting GPS signals, all GPS satellites have an atomic clock on board. Okay. And it's those atomic clocks that enable us to get the positioning that we get on the Earth. Um, so with DSAC, you could envision putting a positioning network, say, at the moon or Mars, you know, places of high interest. There's a lot of spacecraft that are going to be headed to the moon in the next year or two. Um, we obviously have a lot of spacecraft at Mars. If we ever want to send humans to those destinations, you're going to want something like a GPS network at those planets or the, or the moon. And so DSAC it would be a, an important element to that. The other way that to think about it is a little more subtle. So it, GPS, you know, you get the signals in your phone. You don't talk back to GPS. It's not a two-way conversation. You're not sending any signals back up to that satellite. And so right now, to get that same kind of tracking data, you have to send that signal back to Earth. And so you can imagine if, you, if, if it's like a phone call and it's between one entity and another, you can only support a limited number of users. GPS works by works because it has one-way signals. And so putting DSAC on board uh, spacecraft at Mars or the Moon or even Venus, and I'll talk about that in a little bit, um, at Mars in particular, if you had a DSAC on board, um, an Earth transmission could support any number of, of users at Mars that want to get that kind of position information. And this is important, you can get it on board. So with the clock right. and a good navigation system, you don't have to send the signal back to Earth. You don't have, you know, navigators on Earth with their computers crunching the numbers and sending it back to the satellite. You can have all of that done on board. And so it's enabling for, you know, autonomous onboard navigation, without which, you know, without the clock, um, you wouldn't be able to do that. Gotcha. Okay. So you built the, uh, well, the toaster, we'll call it, and proven how it can work. Now, now, what's going to happen with it? Like you, like you mentioned, the Venus mission and the Mars missions and things like that. Is this going to be something that almost becomes standard for any of these space missions? I hope so. Um, so, DSAC, the one that we demonstrated in low Earth orbit, was um, an initiative by NASA's Space Technology Mission Directorate. You know, build this first clock, put it in low Earth orbit, make sure it works. You know, that was our primary goal: right. is you know, can you put this thing up in space and have it tick? You know, as an example, GPS, they started uh, experimenting with their atomic clocks back in the 70s, and it was quite a few iterations before they got it right. And so, you know, we're really happy that the first, first time out the gate with DSAC, it works well. It works extremely well. You know, we just published a paper that shows it's essentially the most stable space clock right now, um, uh, you know, that's operating. And so the next step is... Um, build a little smaller one, uh, one that takes less power because resources on a spacecraft are, are mm -hmm. hard to come by, and also build one that will last longer. You know, with DSAC, the goal wasn't to have it last for what you would expect for a deep space mission, but this next version, we would like it to last at least five years, maybe 10 years, 
and we're going to test it on Veritas that is scheduled to launch and head to Venus uh, this decade. So um, we're real excited about that, and the goal with that version of the clock would be the one that you would want to build again. Right. And so um, eventually NASA would like to commercialize it and have companies that build them, and then NASA could go back and buy them and put them in lots of future spacecraft. Very, very interesting. Very cool stuff. Thanks so much, Todd. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Shay. Thanks for having me, and I'm glad to talk about DSAC. Yeah, that's very cool. Thanks very much. Todd Ely, who is the DSAC Project Manager and Principal Investigator.